Are you free? I mean, what is freedom? No oppression. No curbing of your human rights. No restrictions on your personal choices. The right to protest. The freedom to worship whichever God you like in whichever way you please. The right to say what you want. Be who you want. Do what you like. Is that freedom? We're meant to live in a free society and on this Remembrance Sunday we're encouraged to give thanks for many of these freedoms that we enjoy, not to take them for granted. We should remember the extraordinary price that was paid by the blood of millions of people in order to secure our freedoms. In that epic uh, TV series called uh, Band of Brothers, which uh, follows the famous Easy Company paratroopers through World War II, there's an episode called Why We Fight. Uh, And that episode highlights kind of the paratroopers' feelings about the war. They're asking whether it's all worth it. So much sweat, blood and tears. Is it worth it? And then in that episode, they stumble across a Jewish concentration camp. And after seeing firsthand that the horrific atrocities committed by the Nazis, things begin to come into perspective. Their question is answered. This is why we fight. All that slaughter and sacrifice of easy company had been for this, to bring an end to tyranny and oppression and suffering, to bring freedom for the oppressed. The price was worth it. In many ways, and um, compared to many others, we are a free people. And many of those freedoms were protected and secured by the sacrifice of others. People died. So we could do this. But those of us who are Christians know that we have experienced another kind, a deeper kind of liberation. We have been set free. Not from prisons or concentration camps. We've been set free from something far worse. From sin. And today we're going to think about true freedom that only Jesus Christ has given us. In fact, so deep is this freedom that even if you are imprisoned and all your freedoms and rights are taken away, you will still be truly free. Um, We've read Ephesians 1 and we've been making our way through Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 14. And it lists all of these blessings that are ours in Christ when we're joined to him by faith. It means firstly, as we've seen already, that we are chosen by him before the foundation of the world. Secondly, it means we're adopted. We've been brought in to his family. But it kind of raises a question here, if we're thinking about it. How could God... Having chosen us, 
bring us into his family. We are sinful people. We are unholy people. We are under the power of sin. We're guilty. How could he bring guilty people freely into his family? Well, it is possible by his redeeming and forgiving us. So look at verses 7 and 8, which is where we're going to focus our time today. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Notice that word redemption. Now, it's not, that's not a word you've probably used this week, maybe never in your life, actually. It's not a word we use often. It means It means the payment of a price known as a ransom in order to purchase someone or something's freedom. The payment of a price known as a ransom in order to purchase someone or something's freedom. And you could think about it in terms of purchasing freedom for a slave, perhaps. Buying their freedom. In the Bible, there's lots of different layers to redemption. It included the purchase of property that had been lost to your family and buying it back. But really, the main backdrop for redemption in the Bible is the Exodus story. In the Exodus story, the people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt. They were under the power and oppression of a tyrant Pharaoh. And so they cry out to God and he comes down uh, and sends Moses back to the people. And through him and through God's power, he systematically breaks Egypt's oppression, Egypt's power. You remember the 10 plagues. And it culminates in that final plague, the death of the firstborn. Uh, And the only way to escape that judgment, that final judgment for Jew and Gentile, for Jew and Egyptian, was by offering a Passover lamb, a blood sacrifice offered instead of the firstborn. Essentially, God was buying his people. He was buying the firstborn sons of Israel. And after that moment, the people are set free. And that Exodus story sets a key, what we call a motif or pattern for our understanding of redemption in the rest of scriptures. Our slavery and a blood ransom for our freedom. Now this might be strange because we, we don't think of ourselves as sort of enslaved people, do we? We don't think like, certainly not in a physical sense. Um, we like to think of ourselves as free beings. Freedom is perhaps the highest value in our Western society. Freedom, freedom to choose and so on. A desire to be utterly free from any constraint. Nobody get in my way of being and doing the things I want to be and do. We prize that above anything else in our culture and society today. But the Bible tells us that we are not Free. No matter how many freedoms we might have politically and so on, we are not truly free. In fact, we are all born as slaves. Slaves to our own sin and Satan's power. 
God wants to tell us another story, a different story, to wake us up to the reality that we are actually enslaved under the power and oppression of sin that leads to death. And that whether we realise it or not, we all need redemption. And without redemption, we cannot be adopted by God in Christ. We cannot belong to his eternal, glorious family. Well, let's explore this together then under three brief headings. Firstly, the problem of our slavery. Secondly, the price of our freedom. And thirdly, the person who bought us. The problem of our slavery, the price of our freedom, and the person who bought us. Firstly, the problem of our slavery. As I said, we are not free. We need redemption. We are under the power and dominion of sin. We are slaves to sin. That's what the Bible says. Jesus himself said this to some Jews who thought they were free. It says in John chapter 8, verse 33, they answered Jesus, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. Well, we've just talked about the Exodus, so yes, you were. But we are Abra- we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Before this, Jesus had just told them that they need to know the truth and the truth shall set you free. This is the truth we need to know. We were were not fundamentally at our core actually free, but enslaved to our sins. Sin was our master. We were bound to obey its desires. We did what our sinful natures wanted us to do as naturally and instinctively as it is to breathe or crave food. And it's not trivial either. It's a serious rebellion against the living God. A sin is not kind of eating one too many chocolates. It's an affront and offence to the creator of the universe. Uh, Would you flick over to Ephesians chapter 2? Because here, once again, Paul kind of sums it up quite vividly. In just a few verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. A dead person doesn't sound very free to me. Verse 2. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. So, so not your own free choice, your own way of free choice, but the ways of the world. Sin, sin was the, the entire inescapable realm in which we lived. It was the ocean in which we swam. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So he's saying here, you were followers of a ruler. You were not your own ruler. You were ruled by someone and something else. You were not your own master. But here, this spirit, this ruler of the kingdom of the air is the devil himself. 
Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. You were enslaved to your own sinful passions and desires and thoughts. Your nature was to sin. Your nature was to rebel. You You were not free, but entirely entrapped in your own evil desire. And he says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Here's where it really leads. The consequences of our sin is God's wrath, his burning anger and just judgment against sin. A wrath that can only be satisfied by eternal death. Sin is slavery. And I know, we all know what kind of master it can be. Maybe you remember how low and how far sin can take you. The destruction and the pain it has caused you. The violence and greed and jealousy. The shame, the regret, the addiction, the misery and the sorrow. Just Look around you, a world enslaved to sin. Romans chapter 6 tells us about our slavery to sin and it says it leads to death. Death is the penalty of sin, its final consequences, the just punishment of our holy God against rebels such as we were. So so we're under the power of sin. Sin's power, like chains we could not break. It controlled us and subdued us. It reigned over us. It mastered us. And, And even in our culture today, things that look like freedom, they might actually look like freedom, are actually enslaving things. Take, for example, transgenderism. Or gender dysphoria. Somebody who feels deep down inside of them that they are not the person that their body says they are. They are a man trapped in a woman's body or vice versa. And they just have to be free to to be who they feel they are inside. Now are they truly free? When they feel they have no choice but to be, they're almost enslaved to a desire. That they can't control. I was born this way. I can't control it. It's not me. It's who I really am inside. It looks like freedom, but it's just another kind of enslavement. But our slavery, it's not just a power controlling us. It's also a penalty. Slavery was was in our penalty for sin, making us guilty before God. That sentence of death hanging over us like a sword on a hair string. Have you ever carried guilt in your life? You know how it hangs over you and it seems to just poison everything. It robs joy from your life and hope from your life. Guilt, you're in, you feel enslaved to guilt. But the real extent of our slavery and bondage in these things was that we could not escape it ourselves. 
We couldn't rid ourselves of sin or escape the world of sin. We're stuck behind bars. We're imprisoned. And listen, we, we might get well adjusted to life in the prison. You know, we, we know how the prison works and we, we can be quite happy in our little prison world and we, we stop thinking or even know there's a world outside these walls. We cannot escape it. The problem of our slavery to the power and penalty of sin has only one answer. Redemption. It's the only way to be free. But it would not come cheaply. So let's think about the price of our freedom. The price of our freedom. As I've said, redemption requires the payment of a ransom. It is freedom through the payment of a price. And our ransom price can be none other than the blood of God the Son. What does our text say? Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Just like we cannot underestimate the seriousness of sin, neither can we underestimate the high price of our redemption, the death of Jesus Christ. Some people dare to think that they can appease God's wrath and overcome sin's power by their own good deeds, maybe being religious or something. But what are those compared to the precious blood of Jesus? How dare we offer these when it is only Christ's blood that can satisfy the wrath of God, as if a debt of millions can be paid with a penny? 1 Peter chapter 1 Verses 18 to 19 says this, For you know that it, it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The blood of Christ through his blood, our Ephesians text says. And it echoes back, doesn't it, that language to the Passover sacrifice again. Death was, was coming for the firstborn uh, in Egypt. The only escape was to take that spotless lamb and kill it and with its blood paint it upon your lintels and doorposts. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. Pass over you, seeing that life had already been offered in place of the firstborn. A substitution had taken place. But a lamb, what is a lamb? A lamb is not enough either. God knows this, it's not enough. And so, and so it was always pointed to him sending his own son in human likeness to die as the complete and final sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, Jesus is our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. We were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ because only the blood of the only Son of God can satisfy the wrath of God for our sin. This is how God freed us. Through the substitutionary death of Christ, we are free from the power and penalty of sin. 
First, you see, Christ's death frees us from the power of sin because in him, sin dies. Our sin, your sin, died with him. He became sin who knew no sin, 1 Corinthians 5, 21 says, and then he died. So sin has died too with him. Romans 6, 6 says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. By dying, sin's hold on us is severed. Romans also described it like a, almost like a marriage that's broken by death. So our wedlock in sin is broken by death. The old master's power over us has died. We don't have to obey it anymore. But also, secondly, Christ's death not only frees us from the power of sin, but the penalty of sin. Galatians 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeems us from the curse of the law. That curse is that punishment it demands because he became a curse himself in death. Galatians 4 verses 4 to 5 says that Jesus was born under the law to redeem those under the law and truly make us sons so that we could be adopted. There we are. It's because of this redemption, that the penalty the law demands, we have broken God's law, remember, we have sinned against him, and the penalty we deserve has been paid for in full by Jesus, so now we are free. That's been paid, it's been written off, you're free of it. Tear it up, throw it away, wipe it off, it's gone. You are free to be his sons and daughters. The penalty is paid. The debt is settled. This is how the justice of God is satisfied and why he can rightfully, legally, justly free us. But there's more than just freedom from sin. There's forgiveness. Listen to verse 7 again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Listen, we, we might be um, set free from our prison. Uh, we're, we're let out into the big wide open world. We're free now. But, but is there any forgiveness for the crimes we've committed? What about the guilt we're carrying and the mistakes that we just can't forget? I might be free of it, but I can remember the things I've done and the guilt I feel and shame I feel. Well, with redemption comes forgiveness too. God has thrown away our sin. He casts it away into the deepest ocean. He will never bring it to mind. You are totally forgiven. That's hard to accept, isn't it? The worst thing you can think of right now that you have ever done, the thing that keeps you up at nights, the, the thing that, that right, causes guilt to rise up once more again, causes Satan, the accuser, to come once more, trying to win us back and saying, remember what you've done. He won't forgive you for that. No. There is forgiveness for sin. And this again, this forgiveness again, speaks of the price 
of our redemption because God can't just forgive sin. Some people would love that and they think that, God, God will just forgive me. He'll just sweep it under the carpet because he's so good and gracious and kind. But that misunderstands forgiveness entirely. We've seen this because he is holy, justice must be done. But he is also loving, so he, he wants to be able to forgive us freely. So to forgive and remain just, he has to incur the cost himself. That's the nature of forgiveness. Have you ever, ever had to forgive someone? What's that like? To forgive someone, you know, there's, in a way, it's kind of like this, you've just got to swallow it and forget it. You, you almost incur the offence yourself, whatever it might be. You incur the cost of it. If someone um, crashes into your car, I think of you guys, I didn't mean to point you out, but here we are. That happened the other week, didn't it? Right, what happens? How do you forget? Like, you've crashed into my car. But they cannot pay for it. They cannot accept the damages. They are guilty. And what you have, you have to uh, incur the cost yourself. That's kind of forgiveness. God does this. This is the price he paid. This is the nature of forgiveness, to incur the cost yourself. So, friends, that cost has been paid. You are forgiven. The price of our redemption, our freedom from the power and penalty of sin was none other than the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And through him, we are truly free and truly forgiven. But I want now finally, just briefly, to think some more on this person who redeems us. The person who bought us. The person who bought us. Look again at 7 and 8 of Ephesians 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according, in accordance with the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Here's where, where I want us to finish, by dwelling on this person. So full of grace. Everything we have in Christ. All of these blessings of Ephesians 1 are by and through and because of his glorious grace. We know we don't deserve it. But nevertheless, he has lavished his love and favour on us. This is... Rich grace, it says. Rich grace. This is grace more than able to meet the wealth of need that we have. This is lavish grace, it says. A word meaning overflowing, poured out, gushing over, overabundant, in excess grace. So dear Christian... Why do you fret and fear? Why do you still carry your guilt? Why do you still hide from your Redeemer sometimes? Why do you think that he would not forgive you this time? He won't forgive me this time. How could you think that? Do you think your sin can exhaust the wealth of love he has for you. Do you think he'll turn to you and say, 
I'm really sorry, I've run out of grace today. My stores are empty. They've closed my account. The ocean has dried up. I have no more grace for you. Do you think he would say that? No, he has the riches of grace that he lavishes on us. Dear brothers and sisters, he will not, he cannot run out of grace and love and favour for you, even when you sin. Yes, I know it doesn't make sense. (laughs) Because if I were God, I would have given up on me a long time ago. It doesn't make sense to me. But thank goodness it's not according to my wisdom, but to his wisdom and understanding, says our text. This is our God, our Jesus, our Redeemer. This is the person who bought us. And he is our new master. He is our new master. And what a master we have. You are free and no longer a slave of sin that leads to death. But you are a slave to God now. To obey and serve him, which leads to life. Romans 6, again, teaches this. Remember, in redemption, you have been purchased. You you are owned by someone. You've been bought at a price. You belong to God now. Romans 7, verse 4 says, So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another to him who has, was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. Ephesians 2, as we've said, it talks about our being dead in trespasses and sins. Then it says we are saved by grace through faith. And right at the end, verse 10, it says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We deliver a different kind of life now. What does the free Christian life look like? What does it mean to be free? All right, we've been let out of this prison. We have the whole world before us. What does it look like to be a free person? It means a person who serves Christ. Who is owned by him. Every part of them, every aspect of their life is totally under his control now. Because he is so loving and good and kind and generous. In Christ, we've been set free to serve a new master, one who lavishes grace and love on us. I know who I would rather serve. Not my sin, not Satan, but Christ. You don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to anyone else. You belong to a lavishly gracious redeemer. There's a story of a public auction taking place in the centre of an old market town. And the crowd there, you can imagine it, is full of loud, boisterous people with mean and cruel expressions on their faces. And the noise builds and then the time comes for the first auction. And, and what do you see? A young girl is dragged and pushed onto the platform. 
She's a slave. And her cruel master is bidding to sell her on. She's dirty and disheveled. You notice chains around her feet and ankles. Her face is wet with tears, mingled with dirt, showing scars and bruises. And her expression is fearful and anxious. And then the bidding begins. First from a loud, obnoxious man with an evil, uh, lecherous eye, hungrily gazing at her. But then another voice makes his bid for her. His voice is kind, gentle, firm, calm. And the price rises higher and higher until finally the evil man bows out of the bidding. The price was more than he was willing to pay. The kind man comes forward and he settles the bill of purchase and the girl is presented to him and he turns to leave. So she, she follows after her new master. And then he turns to her and asks, where are you going? Why I'm going with you, she responded. You bought me and I belong to you. Oh, you misunderstand, the man said. I bought you to set you free. And then he took the bill of sale and he, he writes across the back, free, in big capital letters, and he hands it back to her. I don't understand, the girl said. You mean I am free? Yes, you are free, he said. She replied, sir, I don't know who you are, but no one has ever shown such love and kindness to me. If I am free, nothing would please me more than to go with you and serve you all my life. And that day she went home with him, not a helpless slave, but as a willing servant. Dear brothers and sisters, know who you are. Know who you serve. Do not present yourselves as slaves to sin and unrighteousness. When that master's voice comes along again, you can ignore it. You know that. You can say, no, I, I don't have to listen. I have a new, gracious, kind and loving master. Know who you serve. We who were once slaves to sin, heading for death, have been set free through the death of Christ. So gracious and loving is he that he was willing to pay this ultimate price. Now we belong to him and gladly we must serve him. So on this Sunday of remembrance and showing gratitude for our freedom, what greater freedom could be given us than in Jesus Christ our Lord? And the greatest way we show our gratitude and love for him is in willing service and obedience. Let me finish by addressing some of you here, perhaps, who are, are still slaves to sin. You're still following the way of the world. Satan, its ruler, and your own sinful passions. And some of you, you just you feel stuck. You know you're enslaved. You know you're addicted. You know you can't escape. Dear friend, will you put your faith in Jesus, our Redeemer today. Have you done that yet? What are you waiting for? Why don't you do that right now, today?
He'll set you free. Will you let go of your sin? Will you repent of it? Will you admit your slavery? Ask him to please redeem me. Set me free. Give me a new life. Be my new master. Take this life and all of this life. If you stay in your sin, it will bring death. But in Christ, you will be free and free indeed. And lastly then, to those of you who are believers, and you are still, you know, we're free from sin, but we're not free of sin, if you get the difference. We're still in these fallen bodies. We still struggle day by day. And Your Redeemer is gracious. Your Redeemer is forgiving. He will give you power and strength. Keep trusting in him, committed to living in obedience to him. Let's pray. Why don't you bow your heads with me?